following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Hello everyone, this is Pastor Alan Gilman of All Saints Lutheran Church, bringing you the message for October the 18th, 2020. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark, which I've called the Remarkable Gospel. I've called it that because of the amount of reaction that we see in this gospel, and we're going to see some more in this in this week's message. We're now going to begin uh, the last section of the book, chapters 14 through 16. Uh, chapters 1 through 9 introduce us to who Jesus is, his teachings, his miracles, and it all takes place to the north of in the north of the land of Israel, the area called the Galilee, and sometimes beyond, and, uh, and sometimes uh, to the east of there. And then eventually in chapter 10, he starts traveling with his disciples down to the south where he's going to be going to Jerusalem. Chapter 10, we see this thing that I call the upside-down kingdom where Jesus begins to explain that the ways of God are just so very different from what we normally think. Uh, the first will be last and, and, and this sort of thing. And then when we get to chapters 11 through 13, which we completed last time, he's now in, in Jerusalem and he's confronting the temple system. And that culminates with his prediction of the coming destruction of the temple, which we did look at last time. This week, we're going to begin in chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11, and uh, we're going to, to see the beginnings of his final days. And so let's read Mark 14. We're going to read all the way to verse 26 to get some context. Remember, this gospel, as far as we could tell, was designed originally by Peter to be spoken aloud in, in one at one time. Um, and, and there is a sense that he's speaking out to the crowds and this idea for him who has ears to hear, are you really hearing what's going on here? Are, uh, who are you in this story? Um, you need to relate to what's going on here because there's encouragements here for you. There's warnings here for you. And we're going to see some of that today, God willing. And so the context of the book is the whole book, but we're not reading the whole book. I'm going to just read verses 1 through 26 of chapter 14. And it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the, the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. 
Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And there he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for your word And we ask you that you would help me to present it well. Pray that the technology would work well. And that those who would, that those who need to hear this, to watch it, would do so. And that you would speak to our hearts. And that you would help us in these days, in these confusing, difficult days, to know what it is you're calling us to do. Help us to give ourselves afresh to you and show us, Lord, how we are to do that. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, chapter 14 and verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When God commanded the keeping of this feast that happens in the springtime, Passover was actually the first night and day immediately followed by seven days of what's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unleavened Bread in Hebrew is matzah. And the people of Israel were to commemorate the coming out of Egypt every year by eating um, unleavened bread for, for a week. Often this is referred to as one week-long festival called Passover, but technically it's two different observances, observances, Passover, followed by the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread, or Matzah. And this gives us the, the time frame. This is two days before the Passover. There would be large crowds uh, overflowing in, in the city of Jerusalem and its outside regions. Of people have come not only from the land of Israel, uh, but from other countries. Most Jewish people then, as now, uh, were living outside of the land of Israel. Only a minority of the people of, of Israel were living in the land. But all these people would come special for the feast. Uh, 
Let's continue uh, in verse 1. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth, quite a word, by stealth, and kill him. For they said, verse 2, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So here we see that the main antagonists towards Jesus um, are not all religious leaders throughout the country. Particularly, it was those who were most connected to the temple. It was to them that he had the harshest words. He'd just been challenging them quite harshly, as we've seen in the past a couple of chapters, especially in, um, and then predicting that the temple itself would be just about obliterated. Um, and this was very threatened. These words were very threatening to them. So there was words that he said to them personally, but as I tried to explain last time, speaking about the destruction of the temple, they even took that to mean that he was going to make it happen. And so everything to them was being threatened. And so they wanted to secretly, deceptively arrest him and arrange for his killing. And uh, one of the things we see here because notice they don't want to do it during the feast for it says lest there be an uproar from the people so the idea that all the jewish people of that day were against jesus is not the truth and very often it's been portrayed that way but that really is not the case that's the wrong painting it's the wrong picture the 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 main antagonists were not only religious leaders but the temple leaders in particular, um, they had to be sneaky for a couple of reasons. Uh, there was the whole issue of, of, of the people, but also they may not have had enough incriminating evidence against him. Also, they did not have the right under Roman law to execute. And so to do so, they would have to do it, uh, they would have to do it um, in secret. All right. Let's go to verse 3, just the first part here, first phrase here. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and so it appears that when Jesus and his disciples came to the Jerusalem area to celebrate Passover and where he will be eventually killed before he rises from the dead. I know most of you know the story already, but so this is the last few days of his, of his, of his, life at this part of his life i don't like talking about his but his life because he's still as as if we talk about his earthly ministry and it's kind of ways of talking about him like this but he's he still has an earthly ministry he's not present with us physically but he will return and be present with us physically and i just find some of the ways we talk about things are are are, are not really that helpful but anyway there's a certain chapter of his life that is coming to a close because he will soon die and then be raised from the dead. And I, I'm tempted to go around in circles, so let me try to push forward here. So when they came to Jerusalem for this, they, like so many people, couldn't stay right in town. They had to stay in the suburbs. And the town of Bethany was about a two and a half kilometer walk uh, from Jerusalem. Uh, it was to the east, uh, the Mount of Olives is right to the east of Jerusalem overlooking the city and Bethany was on the eastern slope so the other side of the Mount of Olives and then if you look directly east in the distance you'd be able to see the Dead Sea uh, by Jericho 
And uh, so that's where they were. And it says they were at the house of Simon the leper. Nobody knows for sure why does this person get named. It, it certainly adds to the um, reality of the story. This is not a made-up story. This is a real story. And this is the sort of thing that you say in a real story, um, especially with no other explanation. Well, this man, 99.99%, was no longer afflicted with with what's better called an infectious skin disease because whatever he had may not have been what's known as classical leprosy. Another tangent I don't want to go down. But uh, because if he still would have had the affliction, then he would have been unclean and no one could have stayed at his house. So somehow he became known with the nickname of his former ailment and perhaps he was one of the leprosy sufferers that had been uh, healed by Jesus. And that could be where all the connection comes from. It's possible too that uh, Peter and the tradition says that he uh, was mainly ministering in Rome eventually, because of course he starts in Jerusalem, like all the other uh, apostles, that he eventually establishes himself in the capital of the Roman Empire. Um, and if that's what happens, and that's where he had been telling this version of the story of Jesus over and over again, and that's and this is what Mark wrote down, it's possible that people there, or be- the believers and others, knew about this man. It's all possible. We don't know for sure. And so he's at Simon's house, and it says, as he was reclining at table, which was a a way they would often eat, they would recline on one side and eat at low tables. And then we read, still in verse 3, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, this is an unusual thing. It was not expected, and we see that there's quite a reaction. Uh, this is not the same story as the one we find in Luke 7 about the sinful woman who did something similar, and it talks about her washing the Lord's feet with her tears. Uh, it's not the same story. Uh, s- similar versions of this story are told in in the Gospels of Matthew and John. So, obviously, it was it was known. It was a known story. It was worth including in Matthew, Mark, and John's Gospels, their versions of the story of Jesus. And it's not just because she did it. There's more to it than that. Now, this this ointment referred to as pure nard, that this was the, the real deal, um, high-quality version of... of uh, of a perfume ointment that is also called spikenard or musk root, and it was from India. And as as it says, it was very expensive. We'll get into that in a, more in a moment. Verse four: There were some who said to themselves indignantly. Now, when it says said to themselves, they might have been thinking in their minds, but it sounds like they were muttering among themselves and probably muttering on the louder side of the scale saying, why was this ointment wasted like that? And they go on, for this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. 300 denarii is almost a year's wages. That's a lot of shekels, Israeli money. That's a lot of money. And I don't know about you, but if I was there, I would most likely think the exact same thing. Well, what is she doing? Like, 
it's okay. It's very nice. Some woman did something similar some time ago. And maybe that's where she got the idea. We don't know. Uh, but she's wasting this ointment for for what? When we could have we could have taken the money and sold it and done this thing that that Jesus keeps telling us to do about taking our possessions and giving to the poor. And now this woman has this very costly possession. And look what she goes does. She just wastes it on him. She didn't even need to put all of it on his head. Uh, you know, a little dabble, do you? You don't need that much. But she takes the whole thing and pours it out on him. And I believe this story is told to us because we're supposed to be drawn in. And maybe there's some exceptions out there, but I think this is most of us. You know, there's a few of us that might be like the woman. Hopefully very few of us that are like Judas, who we're going to see his reaction in a moment. But I think most of us would go do exactly what they did and 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 get all sensible about this. And especially since Jesus has been teaching on this sort of thing a lot. You remember that the rich young ruler and what he told him? And how come he's not dealing with this woman like this? So let's let's see what happens here. So it says, um, so I read verse 5, for this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. They told her off. Now, it might be a little difficult for some of us to picture this scene and with these men speaking like this to her. And I would guess a lot of people would say, oh, there go the men. Then the men telling this poor lady off and treating women so badly. I don't really think that's what it is. If a man would have done the same thing, then I I think he would have gotten the exact same reaction. I, one of the big cultural differences between what's going on in this story and many of our cultures today is today, if this happened, they wouldn't in the moment tell her off. And if it was a man, tell him off. They maybe mutter among themselves, probably not. They would just watch. And think, and after, talk to each other. That's what our culture in this country tends to do. But the culture I come from, um, we don't operate that way. Coming from a Jewish culture, there is a tendency, and I'm not saying it's it's a, it's better. There's something better about it. I'm going to tell you in a second. But by and large. Um, and we know Solomon says that even the fool, when he keeps his mouth shut, is is wise. And uh, I I admit, I I talk more than I should. I talk more than I should. But there are people out there listening to this that should talk more than they should. Talk more than they should. I'm supposed to talk. This is something that I've been given to do. I got to be careful with how much I talk. Not everybody's called to to teach like this. You may not be called to teach like this, but you need to speak up. But the the thing is, so, okay, so picture if this would be some of the, and I know we have many different cultures in Canada, but what a lot of people do in this culture, and a lot of people who come from outside quickly learn how to play the Canadian cultural game. There are people I know, they come from cultures that they're more outspoken, but especially if you're mixing with 
certain Canadians that are less outspoken, you learn to play by their rules without necessarily, you might be, maybe you've been told, maybe not been told, but you, you know, you know, I remember once, maybe I told this story, I mean, it's already on a video. Um, I was working at a computer school years ago and it was 10 o'clock in the morning and I walked in and one of my fellow instructors was eating a bag of chips at 10 o'clock in the morning. And it just came out of my mouth, not the chips, the words. What are you doing? It's not even lunchtime yet. You're eating chips. And just everything my mother ever told me uh, uh, about things like this. And he just, he went, they're good. I'm hungry. But it's, I, I, you might react too to him eating chips at 10, but you maybe not say anything. But in my culture, it's like we see the thing and it's, maybe I was wrong. Maybe it's not a big deal to eat chips at 10 o'clock in the morning. But the fact that I thought it was wrong, it immediately came out of my mouth. Now, I'm, I'm helping you to think about this by talking about it so much. And you may not think that you might think that the worst thing the disciples did was that they said something and then he told the woman off. Of course, if they wouldn't have said anything, then we wouldn't know the story necessarily. And maybe Jesus would have known their thoughts and said something. But very often, of course, when we don't say anything, people don't know. But because they reacted and because they said something, they put themselves unintentionally in a situation to be corrected. And that's not the first time that this happens. And I believe if we not reacted more, but we're a little, not little, we're more honest with our thoughts and, and how we're sizing up situations. And if we actually said something, then maybe we could be in a position where we could we could learn and the, and the Lord could guide us. Sometimes we, we see situations that are wrong that we think are wrong, that are truly wrong, and we need to speak up. In this case, they were wrong. And the Lord tells them why they were wrong. Let's see what he says. Verse 6, But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And if I was there, my mind, the thing's going by really quickly, right? But in my mind, beautiful thing. Waste, 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 waste. What are you talking? Beautiful. Like, what's going on with him now? Verse 7. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Huh. What's that about? Well, one of the things he's saying here is what they, in their minds, had set up were these two categories. Helping the poor with our material wealth, or not. That's all they had. And Jesus introduced another category that you could always help the poor and you should help the poor as much as possible. And this Passover time was a key time when people brought uh, money to the temple for the helping of the poor. And so help the poor, yes, but there's something else going on here. And somehow the woman um, um, whether she was aware of it or not, had gotten into sync with what God was doing in this special moment, a, a moment, in a broad sense moment, that was a one-time thing that was never going to happen again. The Son of God dying for the sin of the world. And remember, his followers did not understand what this was about. They 
everything in them said there's no way a messiah should be uh, executed that went against everything that they understood about god's promises in the bible and all that they were expecting and he was trying to teach them over and over again that he had to be given over to the to the leaders and and that he was going to uh suffer at their hands and be wrongly um executed and then he would rise but all that went over their head and yet this idea of preparing a body with an ointment this is something that they would did do would do after the person's dead and this is another reason why probably this is not what she was thinking we don't know what she was actually thinking but there was something about that act that became like a marker that marked what was going on and then he was able to use that to say see what's happening here she's more in touch maybe unconsciously she but she's more unintentionally more in touch with what's going on than you are second it's hers to do with what she what she will and this is also what an astounding concept we get into the book of acts we see the believers beginning to share everything they have with one another and some people get the impression that that's the only way true believers are supposed to live now we should take care of one another there should not be poor among us we should work hard at helping the truly needy and the truly oppressed we should do that and jesus is not saying we shouldn't do that but it was her decision to do with her precious ointment as she saw fit underlying our use of material things is this concept we now call personal property that that was hers to do with they had no right to tell her what to do we can call one another to give our lives fully to the lord and this is actually what she was doing remember just last time we were looking at the most important commandment love god with all your heart and soul and so on and love your neighbor as yourself and this woman was showing her full love to 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 god by offering this ointment to the lord again what was she exactly thinking we don't know but she sacrificed what she had out of her love for jesus and it was her decision and her right to do what she did with what she had and it's wrong for other people to begin to criticize others when they desire to sacrifice what they have to god in that way verse um verse eight she has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for burial and i've already talked about this and so we'll move on and truly i say to you verse 9 wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world what she has done will be told in memory of her obviously we're talking about it today but to them like why does he say this to them again he's showing them i don't know why i keep saying again but he's showing them how important this this thing is that he is going to die and they needed to know that they needed to know that and we still need to know that and i wonder if we need to know that 
because we're called to die too. We spend so much time trying to preserve our lives when Jesus has told us that if that's where we put our efforts, we will lose our life. But giving up of ourselves for the gospel, the proclamation that Jesus is king, what he's done for us and what it means for us. And if we give ourselves up in in our full selves for that, that's the most important thing. And that's where true life really is. And this is, this is radical. We're used, many of us are used to these stories, but if you really think about it, these ideas are radical. And maybe it was too much for one of the disciples It was too much for Judas to take. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, Iscariot is from Cariot. That's where he was from. Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. We don't know exactly what motivated Judas. It could have been that this was too much. We know from the Gospel of John that he used to steal from uh, his team's treasury. And, and maybe his interest in selling the ointment would mean more money in his pocket. But there's likely more than that, that there's something about what was going on that he did not certainly did not want to be a part of and actually thought somebody needed to do something about this. And so he must have heard, uh, he knew or he knew somehow about the temple leadership's concern. And he was ready to uh, to work with them. Verse 11, and when they, that is the chief priests, heard it, Judas' Judith's offer, they were glad and promised to give him money and he sought an opportunity to betray him. So remember, they didn't want to do anything during the feast because they were concerned about the people and so on. But now that Judas had come to them and he was an insider, it's possible that they could have done all this very, very secretly. Anyway, the opportunity had now arisen and Judas gave gave them uh, an open door to fulfilling their their evil plan. And it's possible that he had, because remember, they didn't probably didn't have enough to incriminate him enough information to incriminate him but judas would know everything that that uh jesus said and whether it would simply be things that he would he would say or twisting things that he said judas had information uh, for them that would have been very very helpful uh, he ends up committing suicide so they would never have access to that information because he eventually is filled with regret when after it was too late. Um, but uh, anyway, they were they were glad to uh, to cut a deal with with Judas. So just a few closing marks uh, uh, remarks, closing marks, Gospel of Mark. As I mentioned, and as I keep on mentioning, the, the Gospel of Mark is full of reactions, and we we've seen some of those reactions there. There's the reactions of the of the woman. It wasn't so much a reaction that there was something in her heart that wanted to give this very expensive, precious thing fully to Jesus. We have Judas' reaction, very extreme and, and, and very terrible. And then there's the people, the disciples there, angry at the woman. You know, this woman uh, follows on the heels in the story. Remember, the story's supposed to be told all at one time. Just before, we saw the widow putting two coins 
as her offering in the temple and the Lord using her as an object lesson about giving our whole selves to God. And then right on the heels of that is this story. And so this woman is a, is a model to us. And not necessarily of, of finding the most expensive thing we have in the house and, and burning it up unto God sort of thing. Because what she did was for a very special occasion. And what she's an example of is a person sensitive to the occasion. And we, we live in, in very special times. And that's always true. Every day is unique. But these COVID days are special in their own way. What is God saying? What is God calling us to do now that was not like seven months ago? Who is, who is sensitive to the Lord's leading? Who's attentive to his voice? And I believe if we actually step out and do some of the things that God's calling us to do, other people are going to get indignant. It's going to upset them. But these are different times. And we need to act differently. Not just any old kind of different, but the different kind of living that the Lord is calling us to do in these different times. But I suspect most of us are the ones that are upset by how other people are doing unusual things for God. Are we going to be those people? In fact, some people go all the way and they become like Judas and they want to purposely upset and try to stop that what God wants to do through people. And we're going to talk about more about these kinds of reactions as we as we get uh, further into into the story be, be, before we get to the end. But who do you want to be? Who do you want to be like? Who do I want to be like? I know who I I know who I want to be like. I want to be like that woman, giving my whole self to him, because that's really the only option. So who are we? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your word and for giving us vivid pictures of various reactions to you. And we see through these people what it is that that you are calling us to. As for the specifics, I don't know. And I think, Lord, it's, it's different for each of us. And so I can't tell people what to do with their lives, with their stuff. So would you come and speak to each one, even right now as I'm praying in, in, a, in a video recording, would you come and, and poke at our hearts that we would know how to give our whole selves to you. And then, Lord, show us how we think we're being so practical sometimes in the way we criticize. But also, Lord, help us to be honest with our hearts and, and, and our lives and help us to, 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 to share when we're disturbed by what's going on so that we could all together, whether in this, in this community or beyond, that we could together hear your voice to know what it is you're saying to us at this time. We look to you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Until next time, may God bless you and your families. And remember,
If you have any questions or concerns, email me at pastor at allsaintslutheran.ca and feel free to join us for our Wednesday evening Bible study where we're going to explore these talks further and you'll get an opportunity to share what stood out to you or questions that you have or things that you're concerned about, don't agree with. We could talk about them. The link to the registration form uh, is is could be found uh, under this video in, in the description. And so until next time, this is Pastor Alan Gilman for All Saints Lutheran Church. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you.